How you feeling? You ready to go? Born ready, buddy. Can you believe that we have reached the quarter pole already? Yeah. <laughs> My sleep schedule makes it easy. It makes me think of the patter of a horse race announcer, right? And they're coming around the inside turn. It's Babcock on the inside and Keefe on the outside. And they're coming around. It's a third pole. You've never done that before, eh? Not one time no, ever. No, and don't ever do it again. I promise I won't. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Popper, I want to I want to tell you a story. Oh boy. It's I know. But I want to tell this story because it's kind of been on my mind since last week. And I know it's not even on the list of things that we're going to be talking about on this episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast. By the way, I'm Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. He's Pope Hi. at underscore Chris Pope. Hi, Chris. Hi. Uh, we will be talking. We'll be, we'll be handing out some awards, the quarter poll awards uh, on this episode. Our MVP to date, our biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, and the player to watch. Uh, we're going to talk about a goaltender that we think might possibly should be, maybe, in the World Junior Conversation. Video review. <sighs> we'll get to that, too. And we're going to hear... <laughs> From the exceptional Shane Wright, not my term, it's the term the league uses by bringing 15-year-olds into the fold, and a really great interview with a player whose dad was a team dentist, and he has, he drops Stan Bowman and Steve Eiserman's name in the conversation. Casually. Casually. Yeah. It's pretty cool. All of that still to come. The story better be damn good. I know, after all of that. I just... <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. You and I spent considerable time on last week's episode of the podcast talking about the you people rant. Yes. And Don Cherry. And and I get it. It's it was and and still to some degree is the biggest story in the hockey world. And I I don't know. It's been it's been on my mind constantly because of what Don did for this game. The way he went out notwithstanding uh, was an iconic figure mm-hmm. in this game. Mm-hmm. Did a lot for a lot of the elements in the game mm-hmm. and clearly just failed to evolve. Mm-hmm. And it's on that point that I share with you this story that actually occurred uh, last weekend as I was in the front offices of the Kitchener Rangers. Okay. And there was a picture on the wall of the 1982 Memorial Cup champions the first Memorial Cup champion team for the Kitchener Rangers. And on that team is none other than Dave Nichols. Dave Nichols played three years with the Rangers. His best year was his year after the Memorial Cup when he had 91 points, 35 goals. Anyway, there's Dave Nichols in the 1982 Memorial Cup picture. And it made me think back to... When he played here, and as a kid in Kitchener, I used to come to the games, watch the team. Mr. Nichols. Well, you know, Popper, it's not what we called him. Oh. We called him Midnight. Mm. Dave Nichols is black. And I just, I thought of that when I looked at the picture, and in the context of everything else, this is 1982. So I'm a 10, 11-year-old kid. And I never thought anything about it. I went to autograph signings at the grocery store. Oh, hey, Midnight, will you sign my... And, right? And and so I've been, I've been trying to figure out, like, was it just me? Was I 
Like, I grew up in Kitchener. I didn't grow mm-hmm. up in Alabama. Yeah. Okay, but this was the name, at least around here, that we called Dave Nichols. He was Dave Midnight Nichols. It was 1982. Well, I think we ended the whole grapes talk with times have changed. And exactly. Dawn had- but doesn't that seem awfully recent? Like, that's my lifetime. Oh, I don't know. I wasn't born yet. Exactly. But I guess so. Yeah, for me, that really, that really cut to the bone in my lifetime, mm-hmm. thinking nothing of it. And what would you think of it as a 10, 11 year old kid? Right. I mean, that's what people called this guy. I didn't think one thing about it. Hey, if this year, first of all, I just want to say, I don't think that's the biggest story in sport. I think the biggest story was on the front page of the Kitchener re- record this week. If you haven't checked it out and you're from the region, nice piece on Mike Farwell for everything you do in the community. Just wanted to give you a little stick tap there. You do a lot. So uh, I think that uh, you don't like that, eh? No, not much at all, actually. <laughs> I know. You don't like the credit, but you do a lot for the community. So if you want to know what else Farwell does besides call Ranger okay, Game and talk on the podcast, on, check it out. Let's get on with the podcast. Uh, I think the hockey world learned this year that when you feel like Don Cherry and you feel like you have job security... You don't. Because today, Mike Babcock relieved of his duties as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I tend to look at this in another way. Uh, okay. Sheldon Keefe, former head coach of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Younger brother, Adam Keefe, played <laughs> in this league that you and I spend so much time in, the Ontario Hockey League. Adam Keefe, of course, was a Kitchener Ranger, now coaching with the Belfast Giants. And Sheldon Keefe gets uh, promoted from the Toronto Marlies into the hot seat. Out of the frying pan, into the fire goes Sheldon Keefe, now the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. What, do you think it was more so Keefe was ready and and pushing the decision, or was it made easier because he's been so successful down there? Yeah, I think it's the easiest thing to do. Obviously, Maple Leafs brass wanted to make a change, and they had a guy certainly waiting in the wings. I don't think this was orchestrated in any way. I don't think Sheldon Keefe was lobbying in any way. I just think... Look, we have to make a change. We've lost six in a row. Babcock has obviously lost the room. I'm putting my words in the mouth of management here, but Sheldon Keefe is right there. Let's elevate him, and we're going to see what happens. Well, it was brought up today on Sportsnet that he was offered a job as an assistant with the Toronto Maple Leafs coming into this year, and he said no. Do you think that is because he had belief that if they get off to a slow start, I am the new head coach? That's an interesting question. I would suspect that, because we know Sheldon a little bit from this league, right? I would suspect that he's a smart enough guy to not want to have any of the previous regime attached to him. So even if he had joined as an assistant and Babcock got fired and he just moved to a different spot on the bench, having already been with the team, that he still carries, I think, some of Babcock's baggage. So he stays in the A. I don't know that he expected it to happen like this, but now he's it's a clean break, right? He's still keeping the head or the assistant coaches. Well, that's fine. But that's that's fine. But he is not in any way associated associated with the start that they've had this far. That's right. They're two games out of a wild card. I got you. I just think when you're when you bring in a guy like Mike Babcock, a Hall of Fame coach, you bring him in the high profile addition that he was. Finally, a, the Leafs went out and got a guy they wanted. That's what it was. They went out and got the guy. They hadn't done it before. 
Tavares was the free agent. He came after Babcock. They got the guy finally. Somebody was coming to Toronto. And then the first sign of trouble. And yes, there was trouble last year and the Boston playoffs. If if they win one of those series, we're not having the same conversation. But they get into a bit of a rut here. And all, I, I don't. I wonder if people in Leafs brass were listening to the fans more so than themselves. Because the fans have been barking for this for a while. They're cr- critiquing ice time every chance they get. But And I think we're kind of going through the same thing here in Kitchener. Because you've had calls to the postgame and you've heard online about fans wanting Jay McKee fired because of the Rangers' poor start. And I think it's so easy to just point towards a head coach as opposed to pointing towards the players. Because at the end of the day, it's Austin Matthews that has sucked early on. It's Tyson Berry that has sucked early on. It's Mitch Marner who hasn't lived up to the contract. It's William Nylander that hasn't lived up to the contract. It's not Mike Babcock. I think there's certainly an aspect there. And we've had this conversation numerous times, Mike, about how much a coach actually means to a team. At the end of the day, whether he's lost the room or not, in the National Hockey League, if you've lost the room, sure, you've lost the room, doesn't mean you, your team still can't win. There was many people who thought Barry Trotz lost the room in Washington the year they won the Stanley Cup because the players went out there and played. The players aren't playing right now. So you've given me so many directions to go in here. First of all, You're one welcome? of the things... Yeah. <laughs> one of the first things that comes to my mind in this is truly how the mighty have fallen. You talk about the Leafs going out and getting their guy back in 2016 Mm -hmm. and Mike Babcock essentially walked on water as far as National Hockey League coaches went, right? But I remember the calls even early on and and correct me if I'm wrong, but since, since his Stanley Cup with the Detroit Red Wings, Never got out of the first round, if I'm not mistaken. He hasn't got out of the first round without Nick Lindstrom Lindstrom. on his team. That's right, that's right. So, I mean, if you want to look behind the numbers, some people recognize this many years ago, but they went out and got their guy, who everybody thought at the time was the guy. Leafs Nation is beside themselves with excitement, and and here we are, not even four years later, and it's all over. Right Now, did Leafs brass, as you asked, listen to the fans? I don't think so. I think if it's one thing that this brass has going for it, it's confidence. And I use that term carefully. It might be more (laughs) than confidence, but they're pretty sure that they know what's best and they don't think Babcock is best. And everybody's been saying since this happened that Dubas now has his guy, his guy being Sheldon Keefe, a guy that he hired to come to Sault Ste. Marie, and they had success in Sault Ste. Marie, albeit Western Conference success, no Ontario League, Ontario Hockey League championships for either Dubas or Keefe in their time in Sault Ste. Marie. But now he gets his guy. And the fa- the last thing I'll say on this is to your last point, drives me crazy. I've, I've never understood it, Popper. I have never understood why the coach ends up being the fall guy. So if you want to keep tweeting me, at Farwell underscore OHL. You want to keep texting me. You want to keep emailing me and telling me how Jay McKee should be fired as head coach of the Kitchener Rangers or John Dean should be fired as the head coach of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Then you can go piss up a rope because I'm sick and bloody tired of it. At the end of the day, I feel exactly as you just said, Chris. It is on 
the players. I just feel like it's such an easy scapegoat. Nobody wants to point to the players that, you know what, they're just having a bad year. It's that simple. They're not playing well enough. And you can't fire the whole team. But I I think Babcock's one of those players that, or one of those coaches that is so stuck in his ways and just relies on what got him to a certain place. He's more built for a, a, a bad team to make them good than a good team to make them great. And Sheldon Keefe has went into a good team when he took over in Sault Ste. Marie, made them great. Went into the Marlies, and yeah, they had a bunch of former NHLers and guys on one ways down there, older guys, but made them great. It'll be interesting to see whether he can go into a Leafs team that's pretty good. Awful defense. Awful defense. There's not a defenseman on that team outside of Jake Muzzin. The other guys are forwards playing defense. Well, then whose who's fault is that, though? Is that Mike Babcock's fault? No, this is what I mean. They, right? They're up against the cap. They have a ton of money in four players. They have a goaltender that's coming up that's their best player, and he's coming up on a contract year, and they have no defense. They went out and got a high-profile defenseman, still offensive-minded. It's just like another uh, Morgan Riley, just like another Jake Gardner and Tyson Berry. And he's been trash this year. And now they have a cha- coaching change. I, I think it's Dubas being like, uh, look, a new shiny object. Don't look at me. I need the salary cap to go up a bit so I can go out and get my defenseman. And I hope for the best for Sheldon Keefe because he's, he's been around this Ontario Hockey League for, for a long time, both as a player and then his brother, obviously. Um, remember, he walked. Keefe was part of that. Uh, it was the Colts team, right, that walked out of the banquet that one year? No, no, you're you're thinking of Sheldon Kennedy. Oh, was it Kennedy? I thought it was Keith. No, no. Oh, wait. Sorry. I yes, think, I think it was right. Yeah, it was it Keith. Was. Yeah, Kennedy yeah. was at West. Yeah, Kennedy yeah. was at West. Yeah. yeah, Sheldon walked out of the banquet that one year. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I I just think it's a I, good for him. I I like that the now we get to see if they can do in Toronto what they didn't do in Sault Ste. Marie. Surprise or not a surprise? No, it's not a surprise. I mean, as much as I said earlier that I, I just, I can't stand this, but coaches know, and we say it all the time, they're hired, hired to, to be, be fired. fired. Yeah. But no, it's not a surprise. It, you, you can't have Stanley Cup expectations and aspirations and fail so miserably so quickly and not do something about it. So as usual, the coach becomes the scapegoat in all of it. Maybe he'll end up coaching in the Ontario Hockey League. Mike Babcock making $20 million a year. Twenty million over the next two years, I think, or three years from the Leafs. Guy gets paid fifty mil over seven years. This is his fifth year in his contract. Of course, he got that contract, Mike, after he left Detroit when Jeff Blashill took over his American Hockey League head coach at the time. Got promoted. I'm surprised he hasn't been fired. <laughs> now, wait a minute. We already stop I'm, it. I'm just stop saying. with the fire of the coach. Well, who had Mike Babcock as the first head coach to be fired? Blashill's been terrible in Detroit. They haven't had a winning season in forever. They got some young, young players in there now, but might be time for a fresh voice, as they say. Um, a player that was just traded from those Detroit Red Wings and signed his NHL entry level deal joined us in London. We got a chance to speak with Alec Regula about his childhood links to the team that just traded him. So, over a quarter of the way through the season, how do you grade it so far? Uh, I think it's been good. I think. Uh, we had a little bit of a rocky start, but I think we're kind of starting to find our identity a bit, so coming along pretty well, I'd say. What is that identity of this hockey club? Uh, I think we just play to the systems our coach give us, and um, we just get pucks deep and don't pass up shots, so that's pretty much my take from it. 
had a career year last year on pace to smash that career year. How are you feeling? I feel good. I think uh, I, I've worked really hard, and I think, um, uh, yeah, I just think the success hasn't come with, with uh, a lot of hard work. So, um, yeah, I just want to keep it going and hopefully uh, lead the team to a good playoff run. Being named a, a captain of this hockey club, what does that mean to you? Uh, it's incredible. It's something I'll cherish for the rest of my life. You know, you're in really good company being a captain of the London Knights, and um, it's just a lot of responsibility, and I'm, I'm uh, really excited for the challenge. You mentioned that real good company, a few captains that you've played under. Do you take anything from watching those guys and now being a captain yourself? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I was able to become really close with Evan Bouchard, and he was uh, the captain before. And then uh, I wasn't as close with Robert Thomas, but we're we're still good buddies, and um, they're both really great leaders, and I was able to take a lot of pointers from those guys. So when you came out here, a couple of the London media giving you a hard time about the contract you just signed. First off, congratulations, and what does it mean to sign? Thanks, and uh, it's just a lot of weight off my shoulders. You know, you always, you always kind of have that in the back of your mind when you're not signed. You want to get that deal done, and um, I'm just happy it's behind me, and now I can really focus on having a good year here in London. Putting out uh, name on paper, was it obviously a childhood dream come true? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a dream come true, and um, an original six team, the Blackhawks, I think uh, we wouldn't really want it any other way, and it's, uh, it's been really special and a really good week for me and my family. The Detroit Red Wings traded your rights to Chicago, and you signed just a few days later. What was that process like? You get traded, and all of a sudden they're calling you, being like, "We want you to sign right away." Uh, the whole thing was pretty. Uh, it's pretty shocking for me. I, uh, I'm from Detroit, you know, and uh, it was. Uh, yeah, I was. I was pretty taken aback when I got the call from Eiserman, and um, I, after I kind of let it sit for a couple, a couple of days, I was really excited and uh, had a really good conversation with Stan Bowman and. Um, they said that they uh, wanted to sign me right away, and that was kind of gave me some relief. And uh, once we got the deal done, it's just uh, it's been really good, and I'm really excited for the opportunity there. Still Red Wing connection with the Bowman family. I like that. You mentioned um, being from Detroit. You grew up around that hockey club with your dad being a dentist. What was that like growing up around some of the greats Detroit had? Uh, it was it was incredible. You know, I mean, growing up in that era with the, the players they had, uh, it was insane. I think I have uh, autographs from any guy you can name up and down that roster all the way through their their 20-year playoff run and uh, just some great guys, you know, Nick Lidstrom, Steve Eisenman, guys like that. So it, it was uh, awesome, and I got to kind of get a look behind the scenes. So just drove my passion that much more. Who were some of your favorite players that you got to hang around? Uh, I really, really liked Valtteri Filippula. I just... I don't know why. I, uh, I was a forward when I was when I was younger, when I was like eight or nine, and uh, I just really liked, liked him a lot, and I would always uh, hang around and try to talk to him. So that's a guy that uh, I liked a lot, and it was kind of funny to be drafted to trade, and then when he signed back this year, uh, got to kind of meet him again at the front counter for the second time, you know, uh, 10 years later when uh, I was trying to fight for a spot. So it was pretty cool that way, and I got some pictures with him when I was really young, so that was kind of a neat thing too. So you're around Viltteri when you're growing up, and he's your favorite player. And then, as you mentioned, you go to training camp, and you're putting on the same jersey that he is staring across him in the room. Yeah. What was that moment like? It's crazy. I mean, the, honestly, the craziest thing for me is that he doesn't look like he's aged a day. He, he, he looks as young as he does when uh, when I when I remember him. So, I mean, it was, it's pretty cool. It's just kind of shocking. And uh, I've come a long way, a lot of hard work. So it's, it's good to see if Army pay off. Awesome. Congrats on signing and best of luck. Thank you. I got to say again, I just love the way that names like Stan Bowman and Steve Eiserman come up so casually 
in that conversation with Regula. We live different lives, I think. I think we, yeah. Steve Eisman walks into a room. I just stop and can't breathe. Alec gets a phone call from him. And he goes, yeah, I got a call from Eisman and told me he was traded. And what? You got a, just a random call? I don't know how people deal with that stuff. Now he's got Steve Eisman's phone number. Maybe. Or is it not no caller ID no, on the maybe. phone, right? If you did, you'd be texting back, right? Go, 100%. Steve, yeah. what's going on? Want to so, hang out? I know you just dealt me, but like, <laughs> can I get your autograph before I leave? All right. You and I have made uh, a whole lot of noise on this podcast to date about the fact that there is no talking about the standings. Thou shalt not speak of standings until the season is at least 25% finished. Exactly. Well, now the season is 25% finished. So let's hand out some quarter pole hardware. Polper, mm-hmm. start with you. The oh biggest boy. surprise 17 or so games into this Ontario Hockey League season. I think the biggest surprise is the Guelph Storm. And I know that they're still trailing the Windsor Spitfires, and I didn't have the Windsor Spitfires leading the Western Conference at any point during the season. But I had them a heck of a lot higher than the Guelph Storm. Um, That Storm team went out and made a lot of moves, lost their top six forwards, lost their top six D. Traded their goalie. Traded their goalie. It, uh, It was a... Well, most are top six forwards. Um, I think, but yeah, I think Gogolev and Hillis. Well, Hillis was injured. I think Gogolev's on the third line. Uh, that I thought was going to be just a really, really tough scenario in Guelph this year and into the future. But um, we saw Gogolev and Hillis the other night. Those two have some instant chemistry. Uh, and we've talked about them before, but Nico Dawes is putting up a season early on here to remember. I can't remember the team. I believe it was Boston. That invited Nico Dawes uh, to NHL training camp and then pulled the offer off the table. Nico wasn't too happy about it, apparently. Um, and he's certainly uh, showing Boston what they're missing out on because, boy, is he ever putting up some serious numbers, leading the league in goals against and up there in save percentage, too. Save percentage over 930, goals against of 240. Guy's been a beast. That's my biggest surprise, hands down, really. So I should point, point I, th- I think if it's necessary to point out that. All we talked about ahead of this is that we're going to do biggest surprise, biggest disappointment. Yeah, we didn't mention anything uh, about who we were picking. MVP and player to watch. And I'm going to agree with you. So maybe I'll just add into that uh, the Western Conference standings in general at this point. Because you talked about Guelph trailing Windsor. I mean, at the time of this recording, Popper, the Western Conference standings read as follows. Windsor. Guelph. Flint. Saginaw. Erie, London, Owen Sound, Sarnia, Sioux, Kitchener. It just doesn't make any sense. I, like you, had the Guelph Storm down, way down below first in the Midwest, second in the conference. And in fact, I had them dead last this year. I thought they would have a really, really tough year. And for all of the reasons that you just outlined, how can you not? Nine wins in a row. Again, at the time of this recording, you might have looked at the storm after what they lost last year and thought nine wins for the season would be a high watermark. They are something else. They got no business doing what they're doing, but they're doing it without a question. My biggest surprise of the first quarter. Absolutely. I, I think, I think, what are they at? 12 wins right now? Yep. 
I think that if you had told me at the start of the year the Storm ended the season with 12 wins, I'd say, yeah, somewhere in there, 12 to 12 to 18. I, I think that's where I would have pegged them. Well, and how about this? Four regulation losses. I know. Second fewest in the league. Only Windsor yeah. with three has it's lost crazy. fewer games in regulation. It's nuts. Okay. The players they lost, like, it's crazy. Anyway. And Cam Hillison, Pavel Gogolev, Fedor Gordiev, uh, among others. Keegan Cedric Stevenson's Ralph. having himself a season. Yeah, Cedric right? Ralph, Keegan Stevenson. Jacob Roach. I, I had to look him up. I thought, where the heck did this guy come from? Yeah. Really, I just, whatever they're doing, it's I'd working. Be, I'd be shocked if a fan of this league could name four of their defensemen right now. Because they traded Mer- they traded Merkley, they traded Lalonde. You got Cheka. You got Wayneman. <laughs> you got point, Gordiev. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Wayneman came over from Erie. Gordiev was was great on the back end. I don't know how long he'll be there. Depends on what they do, really. Yeah. At this point, geez, they could contend for another OHL championship. Yeah. It's it's pretty incredible stuff. Okay, from the biggest surprise to the biggest disappointment, I'll start on this one. I wonder if we're going to end up with the same answer again. Yes, we are. Okay, because I I can't see it any other way than the Kitchener Rangers. Through 19 games this season, just seven victories against eight losses in regulation and four total to each in overtime and a shootout. The bottom line is uh, 18 points through 19 games, dead last in the division and in the Western Conference. And uh, the, the utter lack of offense is is frightening. Uh, you, you look at the, the 63 goals that the Kitchener Rangers have scored this year. Only the Kingston Frontenacs have scored fewer. And I, I've been asking myself the question, because you and I obviously cover the team, and coming into the season, we were not the only ones. When the Jacob Ingham deal had been done back in June, you're thinking, okay, the team is making its statement. Conventional wisdom suggested London, Saginaw, Kitchener. Those were your three teams that would compete for the best in the West this year, and clearly it's not happening for the Kitchener Rangers, and I'm starting to wonder if it was just us, if we misread the tea leaves, and this wasn't a team that was ready to go for something special. It certainly doesn't have a deep crop of 19-year-olds, which championship teams tend to have. So they were banking on three quality overagers up front, a good goaltender, and then maybe figuring out the rest. Nothing's been figured out. It's been... uh, it's been a tough, tough start to the season for the Kitchener Rangers. I couldn't have put it any better. Um, it has been a tough, tough start. When they made the Jacob Ingham deal, I thought, okay, they've decided on their overagers. That's a huge pickup and goal. That'll definitely help them because they don't, like you said, they don't have the, that big crop of 19-year-old, especially defensemen. And then I was on the golf course, and they traded for Liam Howell. And I remember saying to everybody I was golfing with, holy expletive, this is going to be a good year. What a pickup. I'm like, this is huge for them. And here we are. Yeah. Just, uh, it has been nothing short of a disappointment. At the time of this recording, two wins in nine games, the two wins against Kingston. And one of them came in overtime, or sorry, a shootout. And the other, they had to hold on to a 3-2 lead late in the third. They have not been playing their best hockey. They Yes, they've been facing a lot of injuries, and yes, it's early, but as Yogi Berra once said, it gets late early around here. And it's getting mighty late over on East Ave. 
it's uh, it's a tough one to figure out, to be sure. Okay, so if our biggest surprise, unanimously, between the two of us, is the Guelph Storm, our biggest disappointment, unanimously again, the Kitchener Rangers. Who are you awarding the MVP to at the quarter pole of this season? We've already talked about him, so I'm just going to say his name. Nico Doss. The Gulf Storm are not there without Nico Doss. I said it on the broadcast. If he comes into this season and has the type of year people thought he would, and that is of a backup goaltender in the Ontario Hockey League, they are not where they are. He has came in and said, I am better than everyone thinks I am. And he's betting on Nico Dawes. And right now, he's got a lot of chips. A lot of chips. Okay, I gave Nico Dawes some serious consideration for this, but I'm going to go in a different direction. My MVP at the quarter pole, and I'll tell you why, is Connor McMichael of the London Knights, who is on a scoring pace of just over two points per game. And what I like most about it takes me back to a conversation I was having with a scout in the media room around the trade deadline last year. And we had seen the Niagara Ice Dogs load up with players. We had seen the Guelph Storm load up with players. And there were still some chips out there. And this conversation with the scout taught me something I hadn't really considered before. And he said, the best guys to get at this time of the year are the guys that are going to be hungry to come for your team. Because when you're to come and play for your team. Because when you're building that super team like Guelph and Niagara Mm -hmm. did last year, you're basically asking guys to come in, put on your jersey, immediately be an ice dog or a storm or whatever the case may be, and and really have that same passion to play. The guys you want, said the scout, and it makes perfect sense in hindsight, are the guys that are not yet signed to their pro deals. Drafted? Sure. But do they need that pro deal? So the deeper they go, the more eyes that are on them, the better they play, the better their chances of then getting signed. That's the kind of hunger you want. So I share that with my rationale for picking Connor McMichael right now because how many times have we seen a guy go out, get drafted, and come back to the Ontario Hockey League like the cock of the walk? Yeah. I, went to the, I went to the National Hockey League in the first round, baby. The Washington Capitals want me. Every year. Every year, except Connor McMichael. He basically came back and said, yeah, Washington Capitals want me. Watch why. Yeah, he it's, said, he, he came back saying, you should have kept me in the American League. <laughs> Something like that, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. You should have signed me, and I probably should have made the show because he can't play in the American League. He's not old enough. Um, but he's just come back. He's been on fire. Yeah. It's been unbelievable. Yeah. Um, great, great MVP. I feel like we should give an honorable mention to Hunter Jones. Peter Ropete's leading the Eastern Conference right now. He's the best player okay. in my mind. All right. So um, we've got the biggest surprise Guelph Storm, yep. biggest disappointment Kitchener Rangers, MVP at the quarter pole, Nico Dawes and Connor McMichael. Who, Popper, is the player to watch until the halfway point of the season? Tell about Christmas. Who should we be keeping our eyes on? Ty Delandria. Ooh, an interesting one. Ty Delandria. Okay. 20 points. In 18 games for the Flint Firebirds, the Flint Firebirds put a whooping on the London Knights the other night. They did. They are for real. But I still don't know if Delandria is playing his best hockey. He is a guy that can dominate this league when he wants. He's good on faceoffs when he when he takes draws. He can play the physical style. He can be a pass-first guy, and he can shoot. He has literally all the tools you want in a forward. I think he knows this is his last kick at the can, and he 
he really is what the Flint Firebirds embody. And it's, he came in to Flint when they were right down at the basement going through the tough, tough times. First Firebird drafted in the first round of Dallas, and now he's got a chance to do something pretty special there in Flint, and I think he's only going to turn it up as it gets going because all these guys are putting up points. Delander is definitely a team first guy, but I think he's someone that needs to get up there amongst the league leaders, top five, top ten, and I think he could do it. It's funny. It's uh, That's a great pick because I'm a big Ty Delandria fan. I really am. Uh, I didn't even think of him in this regard, but the player that I thought of I think is the, uh, the same kind of uh, rationale for it, and I'm going to tell you that the player to watch between now and Christmas, you know who I'm going to say. Yeah. Greg Joseph. Morales. Oh, no. Oh, okay. You thought I was going to say Greg Morales? I did, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, Rangers need more from a man. Oh, okay. Well, no, I, you, can watch one of, you can watch one of his former teammates then. Okay. Joseph Gareffa. Now, yeah. listen, again. <laughs> Do we have to? Well, you can, you can claim my bias is showing here, but the bottom line is this. I, I am not unconvinced, first of all, that the struggles that the Rangers are currently enduring are, are not connected in some way to how much better Joseph Gareffa was than we actually thought he was. Like, when when Joe Gareffa announced that he's done with the Ontario Hockey League and he's going to go pro, I thought, what planet are you on? Like, you are a real nice junior hockey player, mm-hmm. a real nice junior hockey player, but pro? Forget about it. And sure enough, it didn't work out. So, ah, see, I'm right about that. <laughs> but now, now you watch him back in the Ontario Hockey League, 11 games, Popper. Yep. 11 games, 21 points. That's why in the next 11 to 15 games, you're going to see those point totals climb. You're going to see Joseph Gareffa. He might get as high as the top 10 by Christmas in league scoring. He is surrounded by a great team. We've watched that line he plays on with Keating and, and Rossi up in Ottawa. Surrounded by great players. And, and he, he may be bordering on elite in this Ontario Hockey League. I will say it. Joseph Gareffa may be bordering on elite status in the OHL. He's the player to watch until Christmas. I don't even think he's bordering on elite, to be honest with you. I think he is elite. There's no doubt about it. When he was in Kitchener, I said it routinely throughout the season. Joseph Gareffa makes something happen every time he's on the ice. That simple. When the Rangers were ever in trouble in their own end, give it to Joe. Here comes the human breakout. Boop, boop. Offensive zone time. When they were in the offensive zone, power play, just give it to Joe. He'll make something happen. Here comes his quick cut back. Back door wide open. Jonathan Yancey says a tap in. He makes something happen every time he's on the ice. He put up, what, 40-plus assists one year? Put up 25 goals, 30 goals. 50-plus assists. 50-plus assists. Again, I'm underappreciating what he's done. He's one of those guys that can, whatever kind of style you want him to play, he can play it. Forward, defense. Setup guy, goal scorer, sure. Ho-hum, whatever. He just goes about his business. I love that pick. Yeah, he's uh, 55 assists with 32 goals last year for 87 points. And like I said, only 11 games in this year. So he, he won't play a full 68. No. Uh, he may still threaten 100 points. I, I would just, And that team's dirty up there. It is. Like, it is. They don't get enough credit. So I just think with the, the number of games he's played so far, that's why you'll start seeing him emerge and be talked about more as the season goes on your pick is an overager mine is not delandria uh-huh. up for team canada at the world juniors is yeah. he a lock yes yeah i think he is now here's the question and you've already given so i, I think i know your answer i mean 
Nico Dawes should be in consideration. You gave your honorable mention to Hunter Jones before when you were talking about your uh, MVP at the quarter pole. Hunter Jones is in the conversation for Team Canada as well. For whatever reason, uh, Hockey Canada seems to enjoy going out west, but I, I think they've got a guy they have to give due consideration to here in the city of Guelph, and, and that is Nico Dawes. The numbers speak for themselves. They do, and he's certainly turning some heads. Keep in mind, though, they often use that CHL Russia challenge as a bit of like a, a preamble, if you will, to the World Juniors. And Dawes was a replacement for Jacob Ingham. I know. He was a replacement. He also played a half game of perfect hockey. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, no, I know. And I'm... We, we are coming off, again, at the time of recording, we are coming off just having watched him for 60 minutes versus the Kitchener Rangers. The Storm won the game 5-1. to one. But what what really impressed me is just how ho-hum the guy is. Okay, here comes the shot. Yep, blocker save. He made it look easy, he eh? He made it look so I know. easy. It's it, such a perfect game for a goalie. Like when you, I, I watch it and I just shake my head because I hate it. I had to battle for every save. My technical side was just awful. I was just a battler. I was throwing my face in front of it if I could, trying anything. My technical side was just terrible. And seeing someone who's just so calm like that, knows he's going to stop every shot, you, you just watch and you think, it's just not your night because he's got it. Like He's just in the zone. He's in the zone right now. So just fire as much as you can because he's feeling it. And when a goalie's feeling it like that, you're in trouble, man. And I might be coming from the camp where I'm undervaluing or underjudging him. And I maybe say so. I, I just don't think he... Like, I think at the final team, probably not. Do they take him to camp? They might give him a look or I give him some consideration here in the next couple of weeks. Like, watch extra, watch a little more of them. But if any, like, there were a pile of scouts at that game against Guelph. Yeah. And I think they got a real understanding of what Nico does is. Don't you also, when it comes to the World Junior Tournament, and given its very nature, look for the hot hand? The guy's numbers yeah. are ridiculous right now. Yeah. I know. <sighs> I just think back two years ago when Michael DiPietro got cut. Yeah, fair point. And same same situation, similar, right? It was DiPietro's real first year as a starter. Here's Nico Dawes in, in his first year as a starter. I don't know. Yeah, I hope he gets consideration. I hope he gets the invite to the camp at least. 934 save percentage, 233 goals against at this point. It's been a, a great story for Nico Dawes Crazy. this year. Even if he doesn't get the invite or make it to the World Juniors, there's a player that we know will be there for sure in at least, in in at most uh, a couple years' time. He is the exceptional player in the Ontario Hockey League this season. His name is Shane Wright. And Popper caught up with him when Kingston came to Kitchener. So the last game before U17s, we talked, and it was a game against Kitchener, and then now you come back and you face Kitchener again. Yeah. Uh, how ironic is that? Yeah, I mean, pretty ironic. Uh, I mean, obviously, U17 was, you know, at a great time there, um, you know, representing my country, you know, playing against some of you know, the best players in the world, so yeah. You were on Team Canada Black, and you got to play with a couple guys you played with last year. What was it like seeing those guys and wearing the same colors again? Yeah, it was nice, you know, playing with those guys again. Um, you know, I had bonds with them, you know, pretty good buddies with them, too. Um, built up some pretty good chemistry as well, so it was nice, you know, reconnecting with those guys and getting to play with them again. Is it weird at all in the room when you see them, or is it just catching up? How's, you know, how are things in this city, and how are things in that city? Yeah, it's almost like uh, kind of going back to normal almost, because, I mean, I spent a lot of time with those guys, um, you know, playing the same team as them, so it was uh, it was almost familiar, you know, playing the same team and being in the same room as them again, so. How was U-17s? How do you, what do you walk away from that taking? 
I mean, obviously it wasn't the best result for our team, uh, but I feel like, um, you know, I learned a lot my, myself, you know, being leader, being the captain of the team, um, you know, being able to, you know, push myself and, you know, push my teammates, um, you know, being a vocal leader, being, uh, you know, lean by example, that kind of stuff. So You mentioned the captaincy. As, as an underage in that tournament even and then getting the captaincy, what does that mean to you? Obviously, it's it's a huge honor. I mean, just uh, you know, the fact alone that I get to represent my country uh, and then being able to, you know, wear the C uh, for Team Canada Black, it's uh, obviously a huge honor. I can't thank, you know, my coaches enough for, you know, believing me and uh, naming the captain. Those coaches, you get a couple coaches that you may not know as well, and now they're giving you some insight into your game and whatnot. Was there certain things that they mentioned that you took away? Yeah, it's nice always getting, you know, a second opinion from other coaches, um, guys who you haven't really had a chance to, you know, play for before or learn from or talk to. So it's nice, um, you know, picking up a few things from them, learning a few things uh, that way. So U-17s has just added hockey onto the 68-game season here in the Ontario Hockey League. As you mentioned, you came played in Don Mills, the OHL Cup, and you played a lot of hockey that year. It seems like players nowadays are just playing a lot of hockey. Do the players ever, we talk about on the broadcast whether it's too much hockey sometimes. Is it too much? for the players or do you just love it uh, I, I mean I don't have a problem with playing too much hockey <laughs> I play more hockey I play you know as much as, much as possible I mean I, I mean playing too much I, that doesn't bother me so alright so I asked you in Kingston but I'm going to ask you again how has the transition been to the Ontario Hockey League this year for you it's been good I mean uh, at the start I'm pretty sure I said this before, but at the start it was, you know, a big adjustment, you know, with the speed and the size of the game, um, you know, different systems, the coaches, different guys I'm playing with. Uh, but lately, you know, I felt like I've been, you know, fitting in pretty well, um, you know, fitting the room well on the ice as well. So, yeah. We've noticed when players go off to the U-17s and come back, they seem to take their game to another level. Is it? Do you think that may be because you go and you start playing against kids your own age or kids you're more familiar with and you get that confidence? Yeah, I mean, I think you get you know, a lot of confidence. I, get, I think you get, like, you know, you get confidence to, you know, your game, you know, can take it to the next level. You know, you can translate what you did at U-17s against your own age players, against, you know, guys that are you know, older than you. So I feel like that's probably the biggest thing I'm going to take away from it. Excited to get back in the France uniform? Yeah, really am, yeah. When we see teams at the rink, and I have to go across and interview an opposing player, I try to... Mix it up for the most part. If there's a big story, I grab that player for sure. But Or if there's like a really good player. And in this case, I both times we've seen Kingston, I've talked to Shane Wright. Why wouldn't you? He's exceptional. He is. And it was the funny the way it worked out was obviously the last game before under 17s was the game they hosted Kitchener. And then he comes back to the hut and he kind of sees me. And I, I go, uh, Shane, you mind if... We have a talk, and he kind of looks at me like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, I know I just talked to you. It seems like <laughs> yesterday, uh, but I want to hear about under-17s. Well, listen, you've been getting some great stories. The Alec Regula story that we told earlier on this podcast, father, a team dentist, getting calls from Steve Eiserman, talking to Stan Bowman. It's great. T-Bone Cod. How could we forget about oh, him? Love like it. that's just that's going to go down as one of the very best ever. And it's funny you're talking about right and kind of defaulting to that interview. I'll never forget the last time I spoke to Connor McDavid in this league. So it was the Rangers' last trip to Erie. It was the last time we were going to see them. It was pretty close to the end of that Ontario Hockey League season. And I said, "Listen, you know, you're going to be moving on next year to whatever and reflect a little bit on your." junior career. He says, well, you know, n- nothing's for sure yet. I-, I might be back here in here. I'm like, shut up, Connor <laughs> yeah. McDavid. Shut your Get face. Out of here. But uh, professional on his part, even at the uh, ripe age of 18. I-, I remember interviewing him and whenever Erie, I was doing the TV side at the time as a host, so I got to interview a player in between periods. And every time Erie would come to town, we'd decide on a player. 
but we'd always change it up. I just wanted it to be McDavid every time. They're like, what are you going to ask him? I don't care. It's Connor McDavid. <laughs> exactly. Play the old interview. Take the opportunity. <laughs> it's Connor McDavid. It won't be the last time we talk to Shane Wright, and he will be, as we said at the outset of that interview that we just played for you, on Team Canada for the World Juniors at some point. We'll continue to keep you updated on what Shane Wright does this year in his 15-year-old season. Uh, for the first time this season, Mike, we were in London the other night, and it didn't take long, but we saw the first coaches challenge in the Ontario Hockey League. A goal goes in for the London Knights after, I can't remember the goal, Evangelista uh, took out Nathan Torquia in the Rangers' goal, but the puck crossed the goal line. So Dale Hunter decides to use one of his coaches' challenge, uh, which actually came into play the night before. It was a, or two nights ago. It came into play on the Friday, and the game was on the Sunday. What did you think of the first coaches' challenge you got to see? Because you hated it going in. I still hate, hate the it. idea. I, I hate the idea because, and I'll, I'll state it again here as emphatically as I can, one of the great things about this game, the junior game at this level, is how it just moves. There's not a lot of goofing around. There's not a lot of wasted time. Fast face-offs, no-touch icings, blah, blah, blah. Two hours, 20 minutes, go out and have a nice drink after the game, whatever. It, I don't like that they're adding another element to slow it down. And if I'm honest with you, I don't think they even needed to review. I think they got it wrong across the board on that play in London because while there was some contact with Rangers goaltender Nathan Torquia, it was well away from the actual play that put the puck into the net. It was a goal no matter what. They waved really? it off. Oh, yeah. They waved I, it off on oh. the ice. They looked at it on review and reinforced the call on the ice. But more than anything for me, it's just stop wasting my time. Stop wasting my time. I could not disagree with you anymore. It took about four minutes, by the way, right? We timed yes. it. So that, and that, that's not too bad. But yeah. you, well, you thought that was goaltender interference? One thousand percent. Can't have a thousand percent. Oh, okay. One hundred and ten percent. No, can't do that either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, hundred percent it was. You can't, it was a type of play where Evangelista looked like it was a mini like one-on-one. He cut towards the center, but then cut back. And as he fell, fell into Torquia and the puck, he was a right-hand shot. The puck went off his stick, crossed the goal line. In my mind, yes, it's not the same thing, but you can't come in on a breakaway, have the puck on your stick, put it in front of your feet, take out the goaltender and shove it in the net. That's exactly what he did, essentially. He went into the goaltender and shoved the puck in the net. You can't do that. That is goaltender interference. All right. Torquia could not make a save on the play because Evangelista took him out. And I I don't think, no disrespect to Torquia making his first OHL start on that one, but I don't think he was making the play anyway. It doesn't matter, though, if he was going to save it. It's could he have. And he could have if Evangelista didn't knock him over. That's where we differ. And clearly the London Brass differed. That's why they used their timeout, lost the challenge. So Dale Hunter couldn't use his timeout later in the game. Not that he needed it as the Knights won that one 5-3. But we got got two for the show on Sunday at Budweiser Gardens in that game because they also reviewed a major penalty assessed later to Liam Howell of the Kitchener Rangers. Turns out, match penalty for slew footing was assessed. Two-game suspension followed, but the referee 
came over to the penalty box. And the beauty of it for us was at Bud Gardens, our broadcast perch is it's perfect. It's it's among the very best in the league, and we're right behind the penalty boxes, so we can see down. We can see the ref there on the iPad looking at the play again, and just like they had done when they reviewed the goaltender interference or not, they took a look at the major penalty and decided, yep, this is a match for slew footing. I like it. I, it took I, less time, too, by the way. It did. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'd much rather, in these instances, leave it up to the referee. It's their job to know the rules. They follow the rules and care about the rules more than some volunteers um, or someone who's getting a, a minimal paycheck, comes to the game, doesn't watch any other games, um, and then just looks at it on the video and says, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, I think that's goaltender interference. Maybe, and, and maybe I'm being wrong in saying that they don't know the rules as well. Maybe they do know the rules. Maybe they know the rules better. But I just much prefer the referee on the ice who saw the play happen in real time Get a second look at it. So I'll tell you what I'd much prefer. And the only video review, by the way, that we did not get to see is offside. Mm -hmm. That's the other one that's reviewable under this new system. I'll tell you, though, what I would prefer. And tell me why we can't do this, okay? Anytime you're going to use video review in sports. Anytime you're going to use video review in sports. Have I stressed that part enough? So if I'm going any... Anytime? Anytime. Okay, anytime. Okay, you're going to use video review in sports. What about if... No, anytime? That time. Okay. Yep. Make what it if, like tennis. Done. I agree. That's it. That, how long does that take? Oh, look. There's the bird's eye. It was out. Oh, it was in. Game on. Let's the, go. The technology's crazy. It's nuts. Why can't... I don't understand why every sport has not done... Like, you watch the National Football League, and was his toe in? Did he drag the... Shut up. Use the tennis thing. You Use look the at, tennis thing. You look at baseball. Was it fair? Was it foul? Did it wrap around the pole? Use the tennis thing. Was he onside, offside? Use the tennis thing. Stop it with the review for crying out loud. Tennis does have the best reviews. It's the best. If you want to review us, feel free to do so. There's a little five-star uh, review thing wherever you get your podcasts, or you can send us an email at farwellandpope at gmail.com. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.